Good morning, Nuno Night. Whichever it is for you. It's Harry, my son George, and our two lazy dogs. Queued up for episode six of my podcast, Forgettable Ruminations. Uh, a lot has happened since the last episode. And uh, I know I say that every time. When, when little of cosmic value has really happened. Some politicians lied. Uh, a jury convicted an innocent man. Some 20-year-old in New Mexico circumcised himself with prune shears. And some poor sap donated a cancerous kidney to science. And that poor sap was me. A full nephrectomy. Google it. The surgical removal of an entire kidney. And not just that pain in the ass part causing all the trouble. The whole damn thing. Started about a month ago. Routine checkup. Um... Doctors noticed a four centimeter mass on my right kidney. Said cancer right on it, big bold font. Um, but it really wasn't the cancer diagnosis that alarmed me. Why did they have to go metric system on me? Four centimeters. I'm an American. Speak American. You know, what's four centimeters? It's like a small watermelon, right? But it seemed more medically appropriate to consider my kidney a growth on my cancerous watermelon-sized mass. But it turns out 4 centimeters is only the size of a small plum. That's not so bad. You can live with that. Well, you can't. If that plum metastasizes, you got a gut full of calcium, potassium, polyphenols, and cancer. And in case you haven't heard, cancer is bad. you got to take a stand against cancer. Say no. I've said no to sex, at least with other people. So how hard can it be to abstain from cancer? Snip, snip, mince here, Julian there. Yank it out, nail a three-pointer with it, bloody high fives all around, and staple up that poor bastard before the remainder of his guts fall out. That's, that's how it's laid out. It's laid out in the Manual of Definitive Surgical Trauma Care, 5th edition. A little dry reading. It's okay to wait for the movie. Uh, it, it's got some cool pictures, though, anatomically correct ones. So anyway, they scheduled the procedure for August 5th in the year of our Lord, MMXX. You tend to get a little religious when a complete stranger is going to drug you and have his way with your vital organs. And it's not a surgery, a procedure. Sounds softer, doesn't it? That's the DSM influence on language. Round off those harsh edges. Batshit crazy is now social anxiety disorder. Surgery, procedure. But on that day, Mom picks me up. I'm amazingly calm. Grateful I have this spare kidney built right in. And that calm lasted about 20 minutes. Mom parks. First thing we encounter is a keep off the grass sign. And I'm pissed off right away. Channels that rebel of minor insignificant causes streak inside me. What's so damn special about grass? It's not like it's marijuana. So here's this perfectly manicured grass outside a building filled with blood and guts, people shitting all over themselves, people who can't remember their shoe sizes, bureaucrats, and on that top floor, the purgatory of the hospital, the local COVID-19 chapter. I, I think that immaculate landscaping is designed to give you confidence. You know, if we can manage this... Out in the wild, imagine how much ass we kick inside in a controlled environment. We can snag a brain tumor with chopsticks. Keep off the grass. I keep on the grass. 
I invite the ten fattest people I know for a picnic on the grass. Throw down a few blankets, order ten stuffed crust all the way pizzas, hundred chicken wings, Casey Yingling, and when confronted by that hospital parking ambassador in the golf cart, I reassure her they're not going to eat the grass. They didn't get this way eating green things. They may eat the sign, but your precious grass isn't on the menu. And don't push me on that reserve for our law enforcement partner signs at Walmart. I guess they need a quick getaway in case they shoot an unarmed black man. So I'm inside the hospital now. Got my mask on. Mom can't come with me. COVID-19 protocol. And I don't even get a quick sit down to check out the new Guns and Ammo magazine. I'm in the express lane. Vitals. Undress, shower with this soap, put on the gown, jam in the IVs, hop up on the table, lay back. Come on, chop, chop, time's money. And don't worry, he's a very good doctor. So so they say, they probably say the same thing about the butchers, you know. He, he, he finished at the solid 37th percentile at his med school in Haiti. And he just watched a YouTube video. But, so the anesthesia is starting to kick in. There's no counting backwards from 10 with this mask over your face. It's uh, All that drama's gone. It's all in the IV now. And the doctor pats me on the knee. Think of something pleasant. And I'm fading. And the pleasantness that comes to mind is my spleen. I had an endocrinologist tell me that she'd leave her husband for my spleen. So at least they're not taking that. And three hours of utter blissful unconsciousness. I wake up, no nausea, no dizzy, no dizziness. So it's off to my room, remote control bed, remote control TV, staples holding in my guts. And, you know, that's living. And then there's nurse number one, glazy, pastel blue eyes, natural blonde hair pulled back. Nurse number two, petite, Asian, dark almond eyes. And if this was a whorehouse, it's, it's one I'd never be able to afford. And it is true that in the comments box on the admittance form, I'd written hot nurses only, or I'd take my kidney business elsewhere. But uh, after listing Napoleon Bonaparte as my next akin, I assumed they wouldn't take my comments seriously. But I guess they needed the business. They honored my request. And the privilege of removing my catheter on day two. That fell on nurse number one. We made meaningful eye contact. She pulled back my gown, grabbed a massive fistful of manhood, and uttered those words that live in my romantic soul forever. This is going to hurt. Finally, finally a medical professional with a realistic understanding of the pain scale, because it did hurt. But our moment was gone now, into the... Uh, the ether of nostalgia, but it was it was worth a kidney. And after all that, all was left was TV and chicken broth and Jello. Comcast Basic. Comcast. The Comcast. Doesn't that sound like the media arm of the Communist Party? No HBO. No Netflix. No Pornhub. All the reasons I dumped Comcast years ago. But going through the guide, I did notice a lot of true crime shows. But uh, between sleeping and, and fending off these horny nurses, I didn't get to watch much. But once home, safely pampered and pillowed on the couch, belly full of staples and Percocet, 
I opened my own investigation. Hundreds of uploaded true crime videos on YouTube, dozens of podcasts, uh, a handful of TV stations dedicated almost exclusively to true crime television. I encountered the phrase murder porn for the first time, kind of like that, and murderinos, people obsessed with true crime shows. Sounds like a bullshit word, right? But it has enough traction to have etymological purists. If you uh, if you pop some popcorn for a good arson or a bit of sporadic raping, you aren't a true murderino. There must be a murder. Hopefully several. If there's a gun in Act 1, it better go off in Act 2. The Anton Chekhov theory of storytelling, by the way. Everything in the story has to be there for a reason. Well... Murderinos view Chekhov as a candy ass. That gun better go off, and someone better die as a result. Preferably after being poisoned and stabbed. Can you can you imagine a murderino's disdain for a hitman who misses? They'll, they'll snag that remote angrily and sling it across the room and regret that they chose this over a jaywalking. But and they have groups, murderino groups. Facebook, Reddit, their own Zoom, Zoom meetings. They, they get together at bars or Starbucks to discuss their favorite murders. And, and you know some of them like the cuckolded spouse exacting his revenge. Some like the abused spouse exacting hers. And then you just have those who have no preference. Any old run-of-the-mill murder will suffice. Just give them a local craft beer and some chalk outlines and it's a night to remember. But, you know, there's no better evening for a murderino than an evening with the gods, the serial killers. Gein, Bundy, Dahmer, Warnos, the murderinos, Mount Rushmore. And a little side note, after these atrocious things they'd done, Gein, Bundy, and Dahmer were all perfect gentlemen at trial. They couldn't obey simple rules. Like, no killing, no raping, no dismembering, but had no trouble with wait your turn to speak. Yes, Your Honor, my apologies to the court. Maybe they were afraid to leave a bad impression on the jury. You know, he may have killed these people, but he wasn't disrespectful. I'm sure that figured into their deliberations. Uh, But Warnos, not so much. She did not go gently into that good night. After pronouncement of her death sentence, as she told the prosecutor, in open court, mind you, in the presence of the jury, I hope your wife and children get raped in the ass. And while being escorted from the court for that outburst, she called the judge a motherfucker while flipping him off. Uh, I imagine her appeals didn't focus on the contempt charges. And uh, you can see this magical moment in legal history for yourself. It's right around the corner. First week of September. The Oxygen Channel. A whole week of crime shows dedicated to serial killers. This death channel is named after the one thing you most need to live. Oxygen. And so I'm sure Warnos's one finger salute to the American Nightmare will be in there somewhere for your enjoyment. So, I'm going through this catalog of shows. House of Horrors, Evil Ken, The Nightmare Next Door, Troubled Teens, Angry Dwarves, and there's the classics, 
Dateline in 2020. Uh, they do other issues too, but true crime pays their bills. And they've been around longer than the original crime show. The archetype, the O.J. Simpson trial. It had everything. The heinous crime, an American hero gone rogue, beautiful victims, an affair among the lawyers, a racist cop, competing forensic experts, a car chase, and even a climactic moment, the trying on of the glove. It was a blueprint for true crime television because it was a blueprint for ratings. You stir up those seven deadlies, turn on the camera, and they'll come. Walmart, Coke, Budweiser, they'll be on your front porch with their checkbooks. And by the way, if sloth is one of the seven deadly sins, we're all on some pretty thin ice. It may not hold some of us. You imagine, imagine you go to hell because you spent too much of your life on the couch watching Seem Like a Nice Guy to Me. Anyway, I take in about 12 hours of these shows, and there were plenty of guns, all of which went off, would have made uh, Chekhov and the Second Amendment proud. But I noticed there are two types of these shows. There's the ones that take themselves seriously, like news magazines or documentaries, and then there's the unabashed, unapologetic entertainments. Uh, the news magazine has lots of interviews, archival footage of police interrogations and court proceedings, discussion of forensic with experts, good, good solid journalism. You still get your knives and guns and ambushes, arsons, but you don't feel the need of a shower afterwards. And then there's the entertainments. You need a good sandblasting after one of these things. Uh, you get a few necessary details and a sultry voiceover. Then it's off to the reenactment. No interviews, no courtroom drama, lights, camera, action. Like a Mexican soap opera. Smoke machines, high-angle shots, hazy filters as the sex heats up and this eternal echo when the gun goes off. And they're always about jealousy and revenge. Never a good jewel heist or insurance fraud. And the actors are Chippendale and Victoria's Secret models trying to catch their big break. Uh, nothing even remotely redeeming about any involved. But the serious ones take some liberties with credulity too. Uh, the victims all have smiles that light up an airplane hangar. Infectious laughs. Every Everyone they met loved them. Uh, except for that one guy. Yeah, I guess it's natural to fondly remember a murdered loved one. You don't want to pile on. And the worst thing you might hear is he could be a little difficult at times. Meaning a complete douchebag. Uh, maybe one day these forensic geneticists will isolate and study the genetic marker that inclines murderers to choose the smile that lights up a room. The, the glue that holds a family together. And they'll engineer some eugenic wizardry that helps murderers pick out the ones who can be a little difficult at times. It sure would take a lot of misery out of murder. After 12 hours of this torture, I, I came up with a better understanding of the allure of true crime television. And it's rooted in existentialism. You might as well give it some intellectual weight. 
And as a philosophy, existentialism poses all of its questions from the perspective of the primate brain, almost completely discounting our mammalian and reptilian brains. True crime shows shine light on our reptilian brains, show us what we're capable of, and, and they let us check it out from a distance, from the safety of our couches. And with the remote in our hand, in case we become just a little bit too disgusted at what we are. And it's either that or we're just creepy bastards. I don't know. My internal jury is still out. But the, these shows are also rooted in the Second, the Second Amendment, guaranteed by the Founding Fathers. I know that sounds like a stretch or, or just a, a poorly executed segue. I know, guns don't kill people, people kill people. Uh, the first commandment of the NRA. They would just use a knife. But you can't pull that off from 20 feet with a pocket full of cowardice. Uh, sorry, enough of that. Where would our murderinos be without the Second Amendment? If you remember the last episode, George and I explored some iconic moments of the First Amendment. This episode, iconic moments of the Second Amendment. So we kicked it around a bit. George wanted the entire movie Scarface. It's his favorite movie. But for me, that's that's more about the Third Amendment, the right to pound your face repeatedly into mounds of cocaine. I argued for the Dred Scott case. That was bullshit! Yeah, well, I know. Dred Scott was not about the Second Amendment. You've said that before, George. But let me make my case, and we'll let you decide. If you're going to grant citizenship to people you've enslaved for 200 years, which right are you going to hold back? The right against self-incrimination? The right to own property? The Third Amendment right to pound your face repeatedly in the mounds of cocaine? No. You're going to hold back the right to bear arms. Because giving guns to people you've royally pissed off for 200 years is simply not prudent. So, George and I compromised. We decided to go contemporary. St. Louis, Ken, and Karen. Our suburban Rambo and Rambat. Esquires, both. When some protesters from the Black Lives Matter movement breached the ramparts of their suburban fortress and hurled some truth at them, I know, truth can hurt sometimes, it was lock and load time for Ken and Karen. And, and Karen looked a little loaded herself. Maybe, maybe a couple of vodka and tonics after a morning of overbilling clients. She was waving that pistol around like she was picking off a swarm of locusts one by one. And Ken. Ken, Ken, come on, man. Pastel pink polo and khaki dockers. Can you be any less menacing? If you're going into battle, thusly attired, slap on a bandolier or two, something, some jungle face paint. Even the NRA disavowed you. Maybe you should take them up on that two-week Idaho retreat. But George and I and Mimas worldwide, thank you, Ken and Karen, for that iconic moment of the Second Amendment. Next time, the Third Amendment. Google it. Boy, are you going to be curled up in anticipation. But anyway, there's life beyond the Second Amendment. And like many of you, I've been furloughed from my job since mid-March. 
That's life in the hospitality industry. But once that employment, unemployment money started coming in, you were making more money goofing off than you were when you were working. Pretty good deal, huh? A mini version of the lottery dream. Once my numbers hit, I'm giving my boss about a two-second notice that I'm attaching this file of what he can kiss. But the furlough dragged on, and that big socialist pile of government handouts began to erode. It's time to look for whatever job I can get. Those halcyon days of sloth and lethargy were coming to an end. But truthfully, and you don't have to be embarrassed to admit it, hadn't you grown tired of goofing off? Never thought that would happen. Did you? I didn't. But you discovered, as I did, your life is not structured around your spare time. It's structured around your work schedule. And after work and the administrative details of your life, you had the optimal amount of time to dedicate to screwing around. But too much of that time became as tedious as work. Uh, spending your time chasing meaning and purpose didn't sound so bad after all. Meaning and purpose are more valuable than how tall your chip stack is. And as an example, on the fourth week of my furlough, I received $2,500 in unemployment. Just bought some more time, right? No, I wanted the restaurant to reopen. This unstructured mass of time was burdensome. You can't go out and goof off with friends. This is just glorified house arrest. So I began looking for work, did the Indeed resume, skill assessment tests. Now, I've spent the last 20 years cooking, and you know who's not hiring? Restaurants. And I'm 56. Single parent, single kidney. And line cooking is hot, hard work. If you're a restaurateur rebooting after four months, am I the guy you're looking for? Can I work like this till I'm 70 or 60? And that's only four years away. And I can't do this anymore. I felt old and the staples in my belly itched. I was recovering. If I continue in kitchens, all of my spare time will be spent recovering. It's a young person's game. I felt like that Morgan Freeman character in Shawshank. Remember, he'd been paroled and after like 40 years in the can. And now he's an old man bagging groceries in a grocery store. In prison, he was Amazon.com. And the hours of his days were structured for him. And now he faces the harsh reality of starting over as an old man. He's nobody, and he doesn't know how to structure his time. And his final decision? Get busy living or get busy dying. That's damn right. So I'm back to Indeed. What skills do I have to have for this digital world? Proficiency in Microsoft Excel. QuickBooks. Adobe Suite. Google Docs. Required. Three years experience, long and short form copywriting, equally comfortable in blog writing and meta descriptions. That's asking Tolstoy to write haiku and Basho to write War and Peace. But they're paying $20 an hour and you work from home. Send samples of published work required.
Well, shit. Well, here's some with merely preferred skills, not required. So I can lie about these. Content writing for a climate change website. That sounds good. I'm against climate change. I want 68 degrees, partially sunny, every day. Sleep, blizzards, volcanoes, everywhere else. I don't care. And some tsunamis in Kansas. Take back the world from these greedy polluters. Become a white knight. Save the planet. Join our team. We're going to strike a blow at the man. Take down corporate greed. Eradicate police brutality across the globe. An internship. It's an internship. We're going to pay ourselves a modest wage. You, we pay nothing. And I found a lot of these forward-thinking groups offering internships. Resume building opportunity or slave labor. What do you think? How do you describe that glass with 50% water and 50% air? But going through Indeed's menu, it didn't take long to zone in on the right direction to take. CMS. Content Management Systems. That and three Viagra will get you a partial stiffy. Looking at these jobs, I had to adapt to the soulless language of digital commerce. Content Management Systems. Search Engine Optimization. Google Analytics. Meta Descriptions. It's all this language of the tech space. Communication Platforms. Can't fake these skills. The phonies and fakes will be smoked out forthwith and end up as the bodies on true crime TV. These techies are bloodthirsty, I'm telling you. It's not, it's not like a professional kitchen where you just ape what the competent cook next to you is doing. But you have to adapt or perish. So my adjusted pandemic reading list. WordPress 2020 for beginners. Google Analytics for the hopelessly bored. Search engine optimization for the three of you who care. And my favorite, meta descriptions for a man of few words. And before you rush off to your favorite online bookseller, a forewarning little caveat. There isn't a single murder in any of these books. No arson, no kidnapping, no love triangles or rectangles. And not even the hint of a misdemeanor. There's plenty of greed, though. You master these skills and you'll write your own check. That's the pitch. That's the pitch for these books. And when I was a kid, I wanted to be on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. And But for the lack of talent and effort, I might have made it. The dream of my reboot at 56? To be on the co cover of a Google search query. And that's it for this episode of Forgettable Ruminations. Uh, barring the loss of another vital organ, I'll be back soon with the comedic gold of Google Analytics and an iconic moment of the Third Amendment. For George and the Dog, this is Harry. See you soon. Mm -hmm.